0: What is up, y'all? My name is Kristen. My name is Sarah. And welcome to the Red Rum and Red Wine Podcast.
1: And we're back with our Halloween special... Um, we hope you guys enjoyed episode one based off of season one of American Horror Stories. Today, we're moving on to season two um, with Kristen. So I'm excited to hear what you chose.
0: Yes. Season we, uh, two,
1: um, Asylum. That one's, that one was insane, right? It was
0: asylum? Yeah, yeah, Asylum. Yeah, okay, <laughs> I was like, I sure hope so, because that's what I did my research <laughs> on. But yes, season two, Asylum. One of my favorite seasons, I have always been super into the asylum plotline or like the mental ward plotline that has always been like a big horror film franchise that I have been interested in and a part of, as well as there's an abandoned uh, mental health institution here within San Antonio that yeah. everyone always jokes about going to. I never did because I'm a little baby back bitch, but... Well, and-
1: it's all fenced off, and you'd have to trespass. And
0: yeah, so this one was exciting to do research on, and the fact that I just find this shit really interesting.
1: Yeah, I mean, the whole asylum and psychiatric facility concept is such a rich part of history, and, and it's already so part. fucked up in real mm-hmm. life that playing off of that in the horror realm, it just works. <laughs>
0: It does, and honestly, I was really surprised by the connections, the real-life connections that Asylum, season two of American Horror Story, made with real-life people, including the very famous Lana Wilson, or sorry, Lana Winters that was played by the oh-so-lovely Sarah Paulson. Love her. Love her. But one thing that I honestly didn't know while watching sarah paulson play lana winters was that her character was actually inspired by a real life person i didn't know that yeah well i mean you did because you're the one that made this list but (laughs) (laughs) until (laughs) until this list was made (laughs) we had no fucking clue so it was just a seriously wild bonkers story to talk about let's learn it all together the story of the woman who willingly committed herself into an insane asylum for 10 days to get the inside scoop on what was going on miss Nellie Bly
1: Nellie Bly what a name
0: it is not her real name we will come to find out Um, it is her pen name but heck yeah Nellie Bly in for the win Before I get started on this story, a lot of the terms that were used back in the day are not what we would call proper terms now. Um, So if you hear me saying something and you're like, oh my god, that's really harsh, it is just the lingo that they used back in the day. Um, You know, and that lingo changes over time. So I'm very much using 1800 talk. So. If I say like um, they were ref- mental health hospitals back in the day were referred to as asylums, so if you hear me talking about asylums, that is what I'm basically talking about. Like it's the olden days version version of a mental health hospital. That's just what they were called.
1: Well, and hopefully a lot of our listeners have some grasp on America's history with asylums and mental health facilities. Yes. Um it's it can't be assumed y'all know all these facts, but
0: hopefully, you know, uh, at least a little bit. I'm not going to go into tremendous detail about the conditions that were going on. I do go into some, but I mean, it's not even going to scratch the surface at the true horrors that these people experienced at the hands of these hospitals that were meant to treat them, not harm them. So it There are a lot of amazing podcasts that go into detail over the conditions more so than I will. So if this is something that you're interested in, definitely, I mean, I can definitely do more stories about it, or you can definitely check out those other podcasts. You will probably. Yeah, it's, it's going to happen at some point. There's just so much terrible history within this that it's hard to not talk about, even prevalent to this day. As for the word asylum, it actually comes from the meaning retreat or sanctuary, though it tends to do quite the opposite. It's kind of weird,
1: it's unfortunate
0: yeah so the study of mental illness has actually been around for quite some time at least a lot longer than I originally had thought the first known mental health hospital or asylum that was known to be established within the world actually happened in 792 CE so 792 whatever CE means I did not look it up but it was located within Baghdad
1: sorry i looked it up i just had to fucking look it
0: up what is it uh
1: these abbreviations have a shorter history than bc and ad although they still date from at least the early 1700s oh
0: so, so what because i did I gonna... find some because i did find some like one in spain happened in 1402 or 1409 but I don't know, 792 CE just seemed like such a long time ago. So I was like, whoa, I got to put that in there. <laughs> but if it, that's the 1700s, then I feel silly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, either way, there was definitely some within the 1400s that popped up. Sorry if we confused you. We, we too are also confused. But I mean, it. it's been happening for some time. Unfortunately, they're not what we think of as mental health hospitals today in fact it was literally the exact opposite Uh, they were really just known to punish the people that they treated rather than actually treating them they were basically just places for you to keep these people to where they wouldn't disturb society and wouldn't look like an eyesore to the others that were living there there was even one case study that i found that was said to be a very typical scene within a hospital in paris named la Bicetre. i said that wrong sorry and it would describe the patients being shackled to the wall in dark cramped cells and they were shackled in a way that the iron cuffs and collars would allow just enough movement to like allow them to grab food and feed themselves but it wouldn't allow them enough movement to lay down and be comfortable so they had to be sitting up basically propped up the entire night Ugh. And that is just one out of the very many methods that they used. Um, Lobotomies became very popular within the 1800s. Electroshock therapy was also very prevalent during this time. And then when we get into the conditions that I later talk about, you'll see like even just living in conditions like that is enough to make you mad if you're going in there completely sane, which unfortunately a lot of these people were Mm -hmm. uh, because you did not need very much to get admitted into an asylum back in the day um if you were drunk or got drunk too often sarah and you me in the asylum you had way too much sex according to society or let's say like you cheated on your husband i didn't really see much about like husbands cheating on their wives because who cared back in the day men could do whatever they wanted hysteria hysteria is one of them so yeah that meant like cheating on your husband disobeying your husband telling your husband no i won't wash the dishes literally Um, speaking out of turn like mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh idiocy was one of the terms so like me if they thought you were dyslexic back in the day you were going to an asylum if you had dementia and you were older you were getting sent to an asylum melancholy which isn't that um like depression oh i thought that meant happy pensive sadness okay (laughs) melancholy which means depression thank you sarah uh if you had mania if you had an std or like a venereal disease you were going there so many other things if you had a child that you did not want to care for and you had the money for it mm, they're getting sent if they were disabled and you didn't want to stare at them they would get sent just terrible And at the turn of the 20th century, only 27% of the people that were getting admitted into these asylums were spending a year or less in said hospital. A lot of them were spending much, much longer years, if not their entire life, in these institutions. quick side note, Mm -hmm. but just like a few weeks
1: ago or something, I went in this little like rabbit hole of research of who in the royal family have been sent away to live in those kind of homes throughout history. Oh my god.
0: You need to do a drunk mystery in history on that right now.
1: Like the royal family has sent away children, family members just because Paris Hilton got more autistic to,
0: well Paris Hilton literally got sent to like that fucking boarding boot camp. school it was like that boot camp where she basically got abused it's the same shit just it's a, a different school, name yeah same shit different flavor <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah that would be interesting interesting as fuck And so in comes our girl, Nellie Bly. Originally born in 1864 under the name Elizabeth Conrack, she, Elizabeth, aka Nellie, I'm going to call her Nellie, always seemed to have a way with words, even growing up. She was one of 14 siblings whose parents had actually founded the small Pennsylvanian town that her and her family grew up in. Hmm. But she was reading an article that was in the Pittsburgh Dispatch that was titled, What Girls Are Good For. And in this article, the writer Erasmus Wilson would state that women weren't fit to work, basically talking trash about women and saying that the only thing that they should be held responsible for is the domestic tasks within the household. They're really not good for much else being the pers- the blossoming feminist that she was, she was like, no, mm, no, no, no. She gave a very well-worded n- response to the Pittsburgh Dispatch, stating that that was a really fucking stupid article mm-hmm. and that they should have n- probably not published that for little girls to read. And it was so well-worded that the paper's editor, George Madden, was actually, like, so taken away by her words that he offered her a job working on the paper and so she began her job and she was like only a teen at this time so as a teen she begins her job as her as an investigative journalist um i believe she goes and works for or she does investigative work for some like industrial company she goes and talks about like the labor conditions that they work under and how rough and how underpaid they are. And so she starts doing work like that and really starts to gain her passion for investigative journalism. But being a woman in the 1800s, she, of course, did not have the upper hand. In fact, she would try to be pushed into the women's section of the paper that originally hired her. And so she kind of realized they are trying to dole my shine, and I'm not one to be doled. I'm, fuck you, I'm gonna go. And so Mm -hmm. that's what she did. She went around. I know, like, she did some undercover work in Mexico. She, like, moved around from place to place. And from after some time in the 1860s, she ends up in New York, where she would end up working for a paper called the New York World. That at the time was known for a thing called yellow journalism, which is where you get really attention grabbing stories. It's like the TMZ kind of right now, but maybe not so much with celebrities, but like just, yeah, they would find really crazy stories and be like, oh my God, this is that. But this is when the New York world. Just so happened to be hearing rumors about how the lunatic asylum on Blackwell's Island had been mistreating its, its patients. Ooh. And so Nellie Bly would gain her big break. That's a headline. And I'm so sorry I did not mention this. She gained her name Nellie Bly when she started working in journalism. That became her pen name. Uh, Her handle. (laughs) (laughs) So that's how she got that name. If anyone. Sorry, I should have said that sooner, but I didn't. So just a smidge of history about the Blackwell Lunatic Asylum. And I'm so sorry I know that Lunatic is not The best word, but that is what it was named, and that was what they used to describe mentally ill people during that time. Just to clarify. So, the Blackwell Asylum was opened in 1839 and it was originally built to be something to the likes of Alcatraz, the mother prison on the opposite side of the coast. So, it did at one point, I read, have a prison alongside the asylum i don't know for how long but i did read that it was in there blackwell also became the first not only the first mental health hospital within new york but the first municipal mental hospital in the country so it was it's kind of a big deal, but then you hear about how people are treated, and so you're like, oh, okay, it's, it's it's not a big deal. That uh, It's cool if they maybe would have done it the right way, but this was just... Right. Uh, it's like awful. not a stepping stone we should necessarily be proud of. It was a big step back. Uh, so it was... The asylum was located on the northernmost end of the island, and there were three buildings where the mentally unstable were kept pl- in, at the time. The asylum, which is what the building was called, the asylum, was the original building that was there. And then you would have the lodge, otherwise known as the madhouse, next to it. And then finally, you would have a building known as the retreat. And it was said that it progressively got worse the deeper in you went. So, like, I guess the asylum was kind of the nicest one you could be in. The lodge madhouse was the middle ground and the retreat was the absolute worst place that you could be. What a name. Jeez. I know. And Uh, it so this really was not known as kind of like an asylum, but rather a kind of a place where they it was cheap care for immigrants during the time, at least immigrants that they could prove to be insane, quote unquote, uh, which, like, not a lot were. I'll just let you know. A lot of them, um, within Nellie's book, which, sorry, <laughs> I did read Nellie Brown's <laughs> book, or her her name is sorry, I get into that Nellie Bly. <laughs> <laughs> I did read Nellie Bly's book, Ten Days in the Madhouse, which she did write of her experience, you know, investigating the madhouse within these (laughs) 10 days. Because the madhouse is where she spent most of her time, as I'll go into detail. Um, But thank you so much, UPenn, for putting this book up for free, because my library, oddly enough, did not have it. So if you Mm. do want to read this book, it is available for free on the Internet Uh, If you just Google it and I hopefully will remember to put a link down below for it in the book, Nellie describes a lot about how the patients that she is with are of German descent or of like some are from Spain, some are from Mexico. She herself, as I get into like she says she's from Cuba. So, uh, I did find in one article that of the women that were there during one point, there were 534 immigrants versus 121 native born people within New York. So, you can kind of see the big disparity. It, um, yeah, we were bad with immigrants even back then. So, mm. with these rumors going around New York that Blackwell is just a torture ground for these mentally unstable people. Nellie Bly would assume the name Nellie Brown so she would still have the same initials at least she was really worried about getting lost within the system or kind of like getting trapped
1: within Blackwell like not being able to check herself out yeah yeah
0: as you could fucking imagine especially after watching American Horror Story 2 I was like oh my god she was asking her editor at one point she was like um, so, worse comes to worse, like, how are y'all going to get me out before I risk, basically, my life and go into this place that's said to have unspeakable things happen to the patients? And the editor's like, oh, well, we'll just, like, blow your cover if we have to. And so, she was like, okay, good enough for me, I guess. <laughs> and so, she goes home and she enjoys, the, like, her last night at the apartment and starts to prepare as she assumes the identity of Nellie Brown, an insane woman living within New York. Uh, That was kind of easy to do. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you would think, but she was, throughout the book, she was nervous the entire time. And there were times where certain doctors, like, later on would be like, you know, you really don't look like an insane woman. So... It's hard because you see women in the hospital or in the asylum that are clearly not insane and need to be let out. And they speak of how hard it is for you to get out, which it is. They like, even though the one doctor said, Oh, you don't look insane. The other doctors are like, Oh, you just don't know what you're talking about. She clearly is. So Mm. there's that air of, uh, she doesn't want to be caught, but as she goes on, on her way to getting sent to the asylum, you find out, yeah, it's not fucking hard at all. Mm. So at the age of just 23 in 1887, I believe it was said to be September 22nd. So around that time, she decides that she has one of two ways that she can get sent to the asylum. She thinks I can either go to a friend's house or maybe like my local doctors and just act super crazy. Or I can go by way of police courts, which I guess is, like, you get the police called on you and then sent to the courts through there. She ultimately decided that it was probably not the best method to have her friends and family think that she was literally going insane and then, like, sent into an asylum. And they're like, oh, my God, Nellie, like, might blow her cover and, like, say who she really is. And it was just, like, too many factors going on. So she says, I'm going to go by way of police courts. And so she says goodbye to her comfy apartment, doesn't really know when she's going to see it again, and makes her way over to the temporary home for females, number 48, which was located on 2nd Avenue within New York during the time. Nellie would pay, get this, all of 30 cents to lodge for the night. Could you imagine? Wow. (laughs) It is 1860s, but, uh, or sorry. I feel like that's
1: a lot, though, for back then, 30 cents. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It was thought throughout the time that insomnia of all things was like one of the telltale signs for madness. And so (laughs) Nellie would go in here and she would kind of give like confusing, weird stories about her life, though she would make it real, like they were factual things about her life. She would just say them in a really confusing manner and like manner. And if people would ask her questions she would just be like huh or she would like act a little spacey kind it, of. yeah and then she tried to appear like weird and dazing Dazed and confused. <laughs> yeah she just tried her best and then it was right before bed she was kind of standing at the end of the stairs and um people were telling her oh you need the women were telling her oh you need to go to bed and she was like no i'm just gonna stay here and they were like you need to go to bed you're gonna look mad if you stay down here and so she goes upstairs and she's like cool it's working she lays down and then she stays awake or tries to stay awake the entire night uh, and also
1: sleep deprivation is one way to make yourself appear yeah appear disheveled crazy. and crazy yeah.
0: and that was really what she was going for so she's laying in bed really trying to stay up thankfully at some point her roommate turns kind of in the early morning hours and wakes up long enough to realize that Nellie doesn't look like she slept at all throughout the night. I bet she's kind of like standing at the bed, like, hey girl. She's just sitting there. What's going on? You sleep good? I've been watching you. I've been waiting for you. And so her roommate is like, Nellie, what the fuck? Literally wakes up the entire house. She's like, I'm too scared to sleep by this girl. She's off her rocker. Like, I don't want to sleep in this room with her anymore. I want to go into another room. Thankfully, I believe it was like the assistant matron of the house was like, I'll stay with her. I'll watch over her. And then when morning comes, they're arguing within the house like, oh, she's fucking crazy. You need to call the cops. And the matron's like, no, don't worry, I'll get her out of the house, I'll get her some help. And then Nellie is like, I lost my trunks, where are my trunks at? (laughs) It's like, the whole guise is like, she lost her luggage, and so she calls them her trunks. And so the matron's like, oh, we'll go and help find your trunks because i think like (laughs) cops are eventually called to like take her out of the house and she's like help me find my trunks and they're like okay sweetie we'll help you and so they take her out of the house and then lead her straight to the courtrooms where she can be put in front of a judge and then deemed mentally competent or not and so the judge asks her "Nellie, where are you from like what are you doing here in new york and or he's like when did you arrive to New York and she's like i didn't arrive to New York and in her mind she's like cuz i've always been in New York but mm-hmm. he just takes that as like she doesn't fucking know where she is and then she's like i'm from cuba or something like that i don't know she just like she starts read the book she says some really crazy shit and the judge is like yeah this this girl isn't making sense and she looks a little disheveled by now she's been awake over 24 hours and they're like sent her to the island and so off to Blackwall Island she goes (laughs) it's funny because um the assistant matron was really really sweet and was really trying to help her and be like you need to go to sleep you need to do this and that so they don't send you away like I really don't want them to send you away and meanwhile and Emily is like you're so nice but I actually want to go there like please stop (laughs) trying to help me lady So on her way to Blackwell, she has to stop at Bellevue Hospital. And here at Bellevue, she is she describes how she's like widely mishandled by two police officers that are trying to get her into the hospital. And here at Bellevue, she's assessed by another doctor, I guess, basically to reconfirm that, yes, she is, in fact, off her rocker. And this is basically like a stopping point where they gather more women and get ready to make their trip over to Blackwell. So she actually spends, I believe, two days here at Bellevue. Mm -hmm. And here she's subjected to really cold conditions. It's September 22nd, so like late September by the time she's here. They say that they don't turn on the heat until October, and really the only comfort that they give these women are shawls that are really dirty and don't look like they've been washed. Uh, the food there is fucking disgusting, and I it continues to be this way throughout her time. She would write in the book that at 10 o'clock, we were given a cup of unsalted beef tea. At noon, a bit of cold meat and a potato and the potato was not seasoned at all or like i don't like cook yeah like they literally (laughs) give you just they literally just give you a a potato a potato eat it ew like like, that's so bad for your health a raw potato that's so bad well
1: not i think they cook it a little bit
0: maybe half and it may
1: not even be all the way but the middle is raw they just hand you a potato and you eat it like an apple yeah
0: at 3 o'clock, they would get a cup of oatmeal gruel, and at 5.30, they would get a cup of tea and a slice of unbuttered bread. And the bread was not good bread. Uh, one time, Nellie would find a spider in it, and it was often, like, stale and not a bread-like color. It was often discolored. Yeah. Oh. Um, Nellie really did not eat a lot of the time that she was here and it was often in her experience that she would say it was really only women that were so desperate from their hunger that would eat all of the rest of them would like maybe take a sip or like try and eat a little bit like some of them would eat because one woman was even like you need to eat because that's what's going to keep you sane but mm-hmm. Nellie just had a hard time even at that point she was like the food was so disgusting i i couldn't even Make myself consume it,
1: yeah, I would have bulked up before.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you don't even know where you're going, God. it sucks. <sighs> like you literally so I of mean, these...
1: like before like her whole.
0: No, like I, oh yeah, because she knew. Like she I would have spent
1: a few weeks like just eating. I don't know how much everything. time she
0: had from the time she got the assignment to the time that she went in. It really seemed like it was only like a day that it oh, was like shit. here's the assignment. And then she's like, okay, went to bed, slept, and then the next day she literally went and did the thing. So, but. Uh, You'll see, like, a lot of the women here, like, one woman, it was literally, like, a language miscommunication. I don't write about it, but Nellie talks about it in her book, how, like, the one woman just wasn't answering, like, border questions properly because she literally couldn't speak English, and so they just sent her to the asylum. Oh, my God. It's insane. It's literally insane what these women, mainly women. It was said that in these asylums... In this asylum, particularly Blackwell, women doubled the amount of men that were there. So Mm -mm. I'm not surprised Mm -mm. because it didn't take much for a woman to be sent. A few days after being taken into Bellevue, they would take the rest of the women and take them onto a very dirty boat and then ship them off to Blackwell Island. When they reached this island, it was said that around 1,600 patients were living within the f- buildings of this island at the time. And of these 1,600 patients, 16 doctors were taking care of them. And around 1 to 10 women were in a room. Mm. And I believe they may have, like, the rooms were not very big. so Yeah. Mm. One of the first experiences that Nellie talks about on the island is witnessing women on the rope. This is a rope gang that is within the retreat section of the island. So that was like the worst part of the building that you could be put in. She wrote in her book that the rope was a long cable rope fastened to wide leather belts and these belts locked around the waist of 52 women. At the end of the rope was a heavy iron cart, and in it two women, one nursing a sore foot, another screaming at some nurse, saying, You beat me, and I shall not forget it. You want to kill me. And then she would sob and cry. So this is what Nellie is experiencing her first time setting foot onto this island.
1: It was a bunch of women pulling a cart
0: tied to like a rope that were tied around her like leather belts around their waist what the fuck Nellie would state that Blackwell was even colder than Bellevue and the women were given nothing but thin rags disguised as dresses for warmth and they were also given straw hats that they were like basically forced to wear it's very weird there's a drawing photo that shows like these women taking their stroll and they're all in like these like white <laughs> like farm dresses and then these straw hats and it is the weirdest fucking thing
1: mm. yeah what the fuck with the hats
0: if they weren't taking that stroll which I think they did like once a week. So if you were quiet, you were allowed to go to church on Sundays. And if you were well behaved and the weather permitted, they would have one fun day or one fun event where they would go to a merry-go-round. Yeah. And like, I don't know for how long they were taken. So I, but. but other than that, their days would consist of from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. being forced to sit straight up on benches. They were not allowed to talk or move. And all the while they would witness the punishments of the women that dared to talk or move during that time. And oftentimes these women were antagonized by the nurses themselves to talk or move so that the nurses would have an excuse to beat on them. Mm -hmm. There was one woman that Nellie talked about in her book that really wasn't bothering anyone. She was just she wasn't very stable uh, or she wasn't very sane as Nellie describes even though she was I think like in her 30s she just kept saying that she was 18 and she wanted to be 18 and no one could change her mind and she got really upset when anyone said otherwise which like you do you girl you're 18 (laughs) so one day the nurses would approach her, her name was Yurina, and they would start bugging her and saying, Oh, the doctor says that you're 33, Yurina, you're not 18. And they would keep bugging her until Yurina would begin to yell and scream and start to cry and just be like, I want to go home. Y'all are being mean and treating me really badly. Like, just leave me alone. They would keep tormenting her and sc- her when they were done to be quiet and when Urena wouldn't be quiet because she's crying because she's just been traumatized and bugged by someone who is supposed to be helping her they would get upset with her and begin to attack Urena. Nellie said that they would begin to slap her face they would begin to knock her head around in a lively fashion this of course would make Urena cry even more and it got to the point where nurses would begin to choke her as a means to quiet her And when that didn't work, they would ultimately go and drag her to a closet. From here, Nellie would say that she would hear Yurina's cries go from terrified screaming to muffled or smothered ones. Mm. And I don't, we can only guess as to what that entails. It wouldn't be until several hours later that Urena would get out of the closet and back into the sitting room. And Nellie would state that she saw the marks of the fingers that the nurses had put on her throat for the rest of the day.
1: Wow. It's it's a setup. It's all fucking set up.
0: Nellie would go on to say of the conditions that she was brought to live in at her time at Blackwell that it would take less than two months to have any woman's mental or physical state in an absolute wreck. The groups would be subjected to really cold ice baths, though this only occurred once a week because they were only given baths once a week.
1: Mm.
0: And this cold ice water would be used by the same for every person so the water would not be changed out in between the only time it would be changed out is if the water got too thick for them to use and even then it would just be a means of dumping it out not cleaning or even rinsing it out and then just refilling it back with water In a bath, one bathroom given for 45 women, only two towels would be allowed for them to use. Nellie would not use the towel. She would use her own dress. And of the 45 women in the group that had to, and this was just during Nellie's time. I will say asylums, mental hospitals during this time are notoriously known for being widely overpopulated. So this Mm -hmm. is just Nellie's experience. Nellie very unfortunate that she experienced this but of the tales that I have heard this is a very much a lighter experience right so this is just scratching the iceberg to the horrors that are going on within this asylum within any asylum during this time so really just keep that in mind but Nellie was in a a group of about 45 women at the time all of them who all of which who had to have their hair combed Of the 45 women, six combs in total would be used to brush all of their hair. So as you can imagine, stuff gets spread very easily Mm -hmm. in these conditions. And they were um, given new dresses like once a month. So even though they were bathed once a week, they had to be put in the same clothing until the end of the month when they would be allowed to have their clothes washed Mm -hmm. and keep in mind the nurses the the people that got bathed were the people that could go walk to the water and bathe themselves if you were someone who did was not in your well with all to go to the water and have yourself bathed or you didn't want to get bathed the nurses wouldn't force you so you would hear Nellie would speak of uh instances where you would see certain people just sitting in the corner rotting because the nurses don't take care of them and it's only when other patients actually step in to take care of the patients that can't take care of themselves do they get any type of treatment or care so sad the food here is also fucking terrible like I said it's it's twice as worse as Bellevue and Bellevue fucking sucked so it's bad no one really eats here It's horrible. Um, One of the things that also made it equally hard for Nellie while going through this ordeal was the realization that a lot of the women that she was talking to, that she was interviewing and trying to get information from, were not mentally ill. They were women just like her. Fuck. One of the sane women that Nellie had met was a woman named Bridget McGinnis. She would tell Nellie about the time that she had spent within the retreat And of her experience in the rope gang. In the book, Bridget would give a detailed statement, which I'm going to read now. It's a little intense and it's a little long, so just bear with me. She would state, the beating I got there was something dreadful. I was pulled around by the hair, held under the water until I strangled, and I was choked and kicked. The nurses would always keep a quiet patient stationed at the window to tell them when any of the doctors were approaching. It was hopeless to complain to the doctors, for they always said it was the imagination of our diseased brains, and besides, we would get another beating for telling. They would hold patients under the water and threaten to leave them there to die if they did not promise not to tell the doctors. We would all promise, because we knew the doctors would not help us, and we would do anything to escape the punishment. After breaking a window, I was transferred to the lodge, the worst place on the island. So, so sorry. Apparently the lodge is the worst place. Hmm. It was dreadfully dirty in there. The stench is awful. In the summer, the flies swarm the place. The food is worse than we get in other wards, and we only and we are given only tiny tin plates. Instead of bars being on the outside, as in this ward, they are on the inside. There are many quiet patients there who have been here for years, but the nurses keep them to do the work. Among other beatings I got there, the nurses jumped me once and broke two of my ribs. Mm. Beatrice would also speak of a pretty young girl who was brought into the lodge during the time that she was there. And she complained of the lodge being so dirty and so filthy that she didn't want to spend her time here. And the nurses would, of course, beat her and force her to stay there. It was said that they would take her to an ice bath and hold her underwater, and then from there bring her to a room where they threw her onto a bed soaking wet and cold. And by the time that morning came, the nurses would discover her dead in her bed, and the doctors would state that she had died from convulsions from her basically either the beating or being so cold. From her illness. There's just so many. Factors that went into her death that night. But of course, it's not going to be recognized. She... Bridget also spoke of the drugs that would be used within the asylum and Nellie did have experience with this one night Uh, the doctor had told her to try and take a drug for sleep which she tried to deny up until they threatened to stick it in her arm where she realized like at least if I can consume it I can try and throw it up which is Mm -hmm. what she did when they left uh, the room but for other women they were subjected to drugs Bridget said that she took a drug that had left her so thirsty and begging for water until her throat dried up. And the nurses, of course, would laugh and not give her any water. And this was a very common occurrence that happened within the ward that she was staying in. Nellie herself had actually been planning on going to the more violent sections of the ward before she met Bridget and before she heard of these experiences, she really wanted to try and get the full scope of what was going on. So she decided that she was going to act out some violent acts to try and get herself into those sections. But when she heard of the experience of the women and what was going on, she was like, um, you know what? Never mind. These these experiences are good enough. I, I yeah. don't I don't need to go in there mm. and do it for myself. Before she left, she would be transferred to Hall 7, which seems like the one of the more tamest parts of the asylum, which I believe was actually located within the asylum, which was the main building. Here, she said that the nurses would still scold you, but they wouldn't beat you, so you wouldn't be physically harmed. And though the food was still terrible and the room was still cold, the setting was a little bit nicer. There was some cheap artwork there and a little piano that, I guess, made the setting a little bit more pleasurable to be sitting in. But finally, towards the end of her 10 days, a lawyer named Peter A. Hendricks would save her. She was really limited to and not allowed any visitors towards the end of her 10 days. They were really trying to get her sucked into that system. But thankfully, the Peter Hendricks, the lawyer, showed up and he said, hey, Nellie, I have a friend that's willing to take or you have a friend that's willing to take you in if you don't want to stay here anymore. And she's like, no, I don't get me out of here. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> It, it was really bittersweet, in a way, to describe Nellie's experience leaving. She said, For ten days I had been one of them. Foolishly enough, it seemed intensely selfish to leave them to their sufferings. I felt a quixotic desire to help them by sympathy and presence, but only for a moment. The bars were down, and freedom was sweeter to me than ever. Hmm, Which I does. was like, damn. Damn. <laughs> so that like that last two sentences like hit so fucking deep like yeah. you f- you feel so much sympathy and you want to help them so much and you think that by being there maybe but oh man those bars are down and
1: yeah well that's the point she now empathizes instead of just sympathizes mm-hmm. and now that she knows what it could
0: feel like she's like
1: Neep. get me out <laughs>
0: Shortly after her wild escape, she would be summoned to appear before a grand jury. This is, I believe, after her book was written. She kind of like glides over that in her book, so do forgive me for that. Assistant District Attorney Vernon M. Davis would conduct the examination that would be done of Blackwell Lunatic Asylum, which was said to be... Take place at a random time. They were supposed to show up randomly, be like, "Gotcha! Let's examine and and see how it is." That did not happen. Unfortunately, one of the jurors would state on the day of the examination that the asylum had been notified at least an hour before their arrival, so they had time to move some things around and get something set in order. They noticed Nellie would notice that the boat that she took. Onto the island was much cleaner than the one that she had took previously. Mm.
1: She noticed
0: that the kitchen was in rather good shape and that the bread actually looked white. The beds had improved. They weren't as rock solid anymore. And everything just did not look like how it looked when she left. Another thing that was different was that none of the women that Nellie had been with were there. Oh. Some had been moved to different halls, while some had disappeared entirely. Oh, fuck. Bridget! Thankfully, some of the nurses did give contradictory statements towards one another, as well as the story that Nellie gave in her book, and it would ultimately start the push for change within the mental health institution culture. After the book's release, New York would actually approve a 1 million annual budget fee to be used to help care for the insane. But even though this approval was made, it was really the beginning of the end for Blackwell During the investigation, one of the doctors, Dr. Kent, had actually confessed that he did not know of any positive effects that were to be had from a cold bath, which Mm. they gave their patients very often, as well as using the same water for every woman. There's no medical need. It's actually proven to be quite dirty and not Mm. good for you Mm. to do that. He could also not give any positive effects to the nurse's beating the crap out of their patients for no reason whatsoever. There actually, surprisingly, is no information on that being positive to the patient. Surprise, surprise. (laughs) His excuse for all of this was that he didn't know nurses treated them like that. And in fact, he was very shocked and very many of these nurses were fired, which, okay, not good enough. He also said that all of the doctors were not competent, and this was due to a lack of means to secure good medical men. Hmm. Really shitty ass excuse. Don't mm-hmm. allow them to become medical men if they are not good. What vow? Don't y'all take a vow when you become a doctor? Like, um, isn't that a thing? Yeah. It's just called ethics. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone should learn it unfortunately it would take until 1894 for blackwell to see the permanent removal of its patients and this would be when the state basically took over the asylum system and made it not because blackwell was very much a private Hmm. company or a private system and when it became a state system blackwell like kind of officially closed its doors The asylum building would be taken over by the Metropolitan Hospital of New York, where it would operate until 1955, where the hospital then moved to Manhattan. And the asylum would therefore would then on remain abandoned until it was actually incorporated into a new apartment complex, which I'm not sure if it stands to this day. Also, don't think that it is a talking point to future tenants to let them know about the history of the land that they are living on. But. Oh, my God. Wow. Surprisingly enough, it would also take until the 1950s to see any change really at all in the way mental health hospitals were being handled. It would take the deinstitutionalization of asylums, which began around the 1950s, to see patients... Uh, not get beat up so much, though unfortunately it is a struggle that we are still facing. It is not something that unfortunately is solved. There are many instances within America, within the UK, within the world, anywhere that there are mental health hospitals, there are still vast, vast signs of abuse. Stay tuned because I'm sure we are going to do an episode on it. But it is still a very prevalent top thing that happens within our community and within our society. It said that one in five Americans have a diagnosable mental health disorder. And though this is something that we're very much coming slowly starting to come to terms with and we're starting to see the brighter side and more avenues of help being offered we still do have a long way to go so Mm -hmm. but thank you Nellie Bly for doing the hard work of and scary work of committing yourself into a mental health into an asylum yeah where it is an asylum back in the day and you don't know if you're gonna get out and it literally inspired the character Lana Winters, who becomes an equally badass character in season two of American Horror Story, Asylum.
1: Hell yeah. I mean, people check themselves into
0: mental health facilities nowadays, like for some R&R. Yes. One girl <laughs> literally was in there for some R&R and then they wouldn't let her out. It's just like, I would definitely check out the book. UPenn has it on the website, um, on their homepage for free so if you google the book you'll be able to find it it is a little hard to read because it's 1800s lingo but like the reasoning why some people were in there one woman was just like yeah i was overworked and i just wanted a break and it's like then you just never get out and and then you just end up get that's not a break because you end up getting beat up and your life is terrible living in there And then you really are mentally ill. Your living conditions literally make you mentally ill.
1: Yeah, such an unfortunate piece of history. But really interesting to know that Lana Winter's character was based off of a true person. And I I don't think I knew that, but maybe I did. I don't know. If I
0: did, it was pushed back into the very back of my brain. Yeah.
1: Yeah um wow and fucking didn't know there's an 1800s book to read on it so that's cool
0: yes she writes about her experience it's not really a long read so it, cool. it's just a little hard she like at one point she's like i turned the gas on i'm like what fucking gas are you talking about <laughs> are you drugging yourself or is this like are you lighting like your oil lamp i don't know
1: uh maybe that's how they had their heat
0: yeah But she's talking about how she's gonna turn her gas up and relax. I'm like, what does that mean? What does that entail? Can I have some? (laughs) But Um, yeah, guys, stay tuned. Next week is the continuation of our October Halloween special. We have season three coming up with Miss Sarah. Which one is that? Uh, carnival. (laughs) <laughs> gonna tell you stay tuned and find out and until next time guys if you have a topic that you want to hear about after this whole special let us know or if you have a asylum story that you want us to talk about you got one in mind yeah
1: um hit us up r-a-r-w podcast or red rum and red wine
0: podcast at gmail.com and give us five stars leave a comment it always helps the show out and until next time guys thank you Kristen. Bye.